pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 215. Today I'm going to chat with Lainey Barnes, aka Lainey Oakley, discuss an outrageous new proposal for the IRS to monitor your accounts, highlight a new chassis from Strike Industries, and talk about a search for a man reported missing after a night out with his buddies. I am your host, Ava Flanell. Lainey, how are you doing today? Ava, I'm doing great. It's so good to be on your show, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy that I was able to get you on my show. I actually have to admit, so when I asked you to be on my show and you're like, yeah, if you want, just give me a call. We'll talk about it. And I think we played phone tag, but when I did answer your phone call, I was, I don't normally day drink, but I was at a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, and I was having a hell of a day. I was supposed to paint my ceiling, but like the construction workers weren't done. And so that got put off. And so I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. My friend who was going to help me paint. I was like, let's just go to a Mexican restaurant. I ordered a pitcher of margaritas. Like I was just, I was like over it. And so I was like halfway into the pitcher and then I talked to you and I'm like, I, I know I'm drunk. And I <laughs> asked my friend, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, did I sound drunk? And they're like, you didn't sound like yourself, but they don't know what you typically sound like. So I think you're okay. And they probably didn't realize you were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> But no I was like, no I was like all right, act sober for this phone call. And I don't even know why I took the phone calls because normally if I'm drinking, I'm like, oh, okay, just send a voicemail. But I'm like, I feel like I just talked out of my ass the entire time, like talking to you. I don't even remember what I said. But uh yeah, so I apologize for that. Cause like I said, I don't typically day drink, but this house remodel has just brought out like the worst. <laughs> and that's just like, screw it, we're gonna day drink. So, Don't worry about it. I completely understand. And and I absolutely love margaritas. So, um, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Well, and I had them add like the prickly pear flavor to it. I don't know if you've ever had prickly pear margaritas, but they're so good. Yeah. Like they're great. Yeah. I actually, I'm kind of a margarita snob. I, I make my own margaritas at home. And so there's very few restaurants where I actually like their margaritas just because I, I make them at home from scratch. And I feel like they're so much better when you, when you make oh, them. Oh yeah, totally. Well, the thing is, is they, their sour mix usually sucks. It's like they put way too much sour mix. I usually, not that I care about calories, but I typically get like the skinny margarita because mm-hmm. it's not made with the sour mix and it's more like fresh lime juice. And, you know, they put a little bit of orange and stuff because I'm kind of the same way. I don't want like a ton of sugar that's going to give me a hangover, you know? Right. Just a good vitamin C boost. Yeah, exactly. With a little bit of tequila. Um, Before we get into the show, I'm going to talk about Smith and Wesson. Smith and Wesson, they just launched a new version of the Shield Plus, which I actually have. I need to do a review on. Uh, I'm just behind, but it's the 3.1 inch standard size now, and it has an option to be optic ready. When the Shield Plus first came out, you could only get the optic version from the Performance Center with the red dot on the four inch ported version. Now you can get the standard size optic ready so that you can choose your micro red dot. MSRP on this is $595. You want to find out more about the specs and all that? Head on over to smith-wesson.com. 
great deal. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Okay, so Lainey, for anyone who's not familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit what it is that you do in this industry? Absolutely, yeah. So I've I've been shooting pretty much my whole life. I went to three Olympics for biathlon, which is cross-country skiing and rifle marksmanship. And absolutely loved it. It was a brutally hard but fun experience. And after I retired from the Olympics in 2014, I jumped into action shooting sports. And uh, from there, I've I've just I've worked a lot in the industry with different companies. And uh, you know, right now I'm the director of commercial sales. And uh, well, actually, <laughs> excuse me, my twin sister is the director of commercial sales for Hi-Viz, and I she just took my position, and I'm now the um, director of military and law enforcement sales for Hi-Viz. Oh wow! So all right, first of all, you covered a lot of things that I already have questions about. So biathlon, you said skiing. Yes, cross country skiing and shooting. So not the the fun type where you ride the lift up with a, you know, hot chocolate and ski down, but um, the actual hard, brutal, go over hills, ski up hills, ski down hills um, with you with a gun on your back type skiing. Wow, I actually didn't even know that that existed. <laughs> it so yeah, it's it's quite interesting sport. So it it originated as a form of hunting on skis in Scandinavia. Uh-huh. And then became a military tactic in World War One and World War Two, and the U.S. actually, um, the Tenth Mountain Division, uh, made huge gains in in World War One and World War Two with skiing and shooting um, against the the Europeans and stuff. So it, it in in times of peace, it became a military competition where militaries would compete against each other, and then became an Olympic sport. Wow. Okay. And then also, I didn't realize that you had a twin sister, which my editor, usually he'll write down some questions and then I kind of just go with it and add, you know, my own questions. But one of the things that he listed was, let's see, what was it? The Olympic trials for 2014 in Russia. So you got sick during the final trials and missed qualifying by like one spot. And your sister actually gave up her spot so that you can compete which is like incredibly selfless. So you and your sister were both doing this, but then she gave you her spot. And that's like, that's, I mean, just really, really generous. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't completely understand. They're like, why would you give up your dream for someone else? Um, But when you're a twin, it's kind of a a different situation. I mean, we, we did everything growing up and, and still do. And, and uh, you know, for her, it wasn't, her dream that she was giving up or she wasn't giving, you know, her dream to me. It was, it, it, it was our dream. It's always been our dream. And, um, she wanted what was best for team USA. And she thought that I'd had my, my best year up until that point until I got sick. And, and she, she had kind of had a similar situation in 2010 where, um, she missed making the team because of weather. And it was just one of those things. It's like something you can't completely control. It's not, it's outside of your control. And and so she having the roles reversed in 2014, she said, you know what, I've been here before. I know what it's like. Um, I want to give Lanny another opportunity to, to realize her dream. And they were okay with that. 
Uh, yes. The, the reason why they were okay with that was because I was next in line. So if she oh. declined her spot, then they would pick me because I was the next one in line. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those selfless things that, uh, you know, I think I'll be spending the rest of my life trying to, to pay her pack for that one. Yeah. Are you guys identical twins? We are. Yeah. We look very, very much alike. Yeah. I didn't know if it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, look, I'm going to take one for the team. You just act like, you know, you're me and let it fly. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that all the time, how it'd be great if we just halfway through, cause we'd, we'd have to ski for miles and miles um, before we could shoot and mm-hmm. thought, well, how about this? How about we'll just wait in the woods halfway and then we'll switch. But with biathlon, it's the most popular winter sport in Europe and there was ca- TV cameras everywhere. So something like that wouldn't fly. Yeah. <laughs> was there ever a time when you did switch spots? Like, let's say you're better at math and she's better at English and you're like, hey, if you could just sit in for my math test, that would be great. <laughs> Absolutely. When we were in elementary school and middle school, um, the teachers, they they split us up because they thought that it would be better if we created our own identities instead of, you know growing up together and, and, you know, being a team and which we didn't like, we preferred to be together, but, um, yeah. that's just, people don't understand twins. So they split us up. And, um, so we just, the teachers would memorize our clothing. So at lunch we'd switch clothes and then I'd go to her class and she'd go to mine and the teachers had no idea. Wow. That would be my dream, honestly. Yeah. It's just kind of like having a clone walking around with you, you know, yeah. you know, be in two places at once. Yeah. So how did you get the nickname Lainey Oakley? Yeah. So my, um, my dad, he, he was a big shooter and hunter um, and he had three girls. So he taught us how to shoot at a, at a young age. And so he, he'd kind of just try to motivate us to, to hit the, the bullseye. He'd say, well, I'll give you guys a quarter for every time you hit the bullseye. And, and we ended up, you know, trying hard to, to hit the bullseye and practicing because, you know, who, who doesn't want a quarter? I mean, back mm-hmm. then it yeah. was a big, big deal. So he, he came up with the nickname Lanny Oakley and it just kind of stuck. Hmm. Would you say out of the three of you guys that you're probably the strongest shooter? You know, I, I can't really say that like for Tracy, my twin, um, it really comes down to the day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it really we're we're so similar that I think we're, we're pretty darn even. Um, yeah. My older sister, she, she went the academic route instead of the sports route. So she became a, a doctor, um, a surgeon. Um, so she's, I'd say we can definitely outshoot her, <laughs> but yeah. had she, had she not gone that route, I think she would have been a pretty, pretty darn good shot. Wow. How amazing. I mean, I'm sure your parents are proud to, you know, have you and your twin sister and then your other sister, who's a doctor, like I'd say they raised very successful women. I think we had incredible role models. I mean, my dad was a contractor um, and then my mom was a teacher. And, you know, even though they, a lot of people will consider those just kind of normal, normal everyday jobs, but they, they took, took those and they did the best that they possibly could at them. I mean, my mom was an incredible teacher and, and um, my dad just worked really hard. And, and so I think, you know, having, having that type of role model in front of you really makes a difference. Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's go back a little bit to your childhood. At what point did you guys start skiing and hunting? 
You know, pretty young. And we lived in Colorado and still do, but um, in Colorado, it's so easy to get out in the outdoors. Um, we started hunting when we were really little and uh, downhill skiing. We didn't start cross-country skiing until high school. So we actually started the sport of biathlon kind of late. But, you know, if you look at it, we were essentially training for it our whole life. We just didn't realize it because hunting is kind of some of the best training you can do for biathlon because you're getting your heart rate up, you know, you're trying to make good, accurate shots, things like that. And that's basically the essence of biathlon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a quick break real quick and talk about primary arms. If you're into long range shooting with either, let's say, 6.5 Creedmoor or 224 Valkyrie, Primary Arms has a new scope that you should check out. The GLX 4 to 16 by 50 first focal plane with the ACSS Apollo for those calipers just won the Industry Choice Award for this year. The Apollo reticle gives you a ton of flexibility for these calibers with hold points, including windage out to a thousand yards with any adjustment. And because it's a front focal plane reticle, your reticle holds accurate for any magnification. I don't know why I can't talk today. Probably still because it's early in the morning. The GLX line is also their beefed up line of optics too. It's got even stronger construction, premium glass, and precision steel adjustments for your dreads so that uh, you can track perfectly. Basically, it's built like a tank with a ton of features and extremely competitive price. I think right now it's $699, which is, like I said, pretty competitive for a lot of the scopes that have similar features. Check it out, primarearms.com. Don't forget, use the code AVA, that's A-B-A. You're going to get a free one-piece scope mount with every primary arms optic that you buy. Let's talk about skiing uphill. Um, I mean, I feel like I've only kind of mastered skiing downhill. And even at that, I could do like greens. <laughs> but like, how the hell do you even ski uphill? That's a very good question. <clears throat> With a lot of effort. Uh, Cross-country skiing is, is, they say it's probably one of the hardest physical activities you can do. Not only because you're using your upper body and your lower, lower body, Mm -hmm. but because it's in the cold as well. So yeah. they say that, that biathletes, um, because you have a gun on your back and so you're carrying that weight actually burn more calories than any other Olympic sport that there is. Wow. So it's pretty challenging. So skiing uphill, we, you're skiing on cross country skis. So they're a lot lighter than, and longer than downhill skis and your, your heels not hooked in, you don't have metal edges. So it makes it a little bit easier to kind of you know, work your way up the hills, uh, but still a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Do you carry like snacks and stuff with you? I'd imagine like burning so many calories, you probably have to eat while you're doing these. Well, not, not during our races. Um, we don't, we don't carry, um, anything with us, but when we're out training, we definitely, um, definitely would carry snacks or goose or, you know, definitely drinks and stuff like that to make sure that we're getting enough calories and water and, and electrolytes. How, how, like, what's the distance with a biathlon and how long does it typically take? Yeah. So our dist for biathlon is considered a sprint endurance event. Okay. <laughs> so, um, think of a lot of endurance events, they're marathons or 50 Ks or, you know, really long, long races. Ours like, hence the snacks. 
that's what comes to mind, right? You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you need those donut stands halfway and stuff. Yeah. Like that. So ours were, our shortest race was uh, about five miles and our longest was about um, nine to 10 miles. So, you know, and the essence of it, it's not that long. <laughs> so um, we'd basically essentially do a loop, come into the shooting range, shoot, do another loop, come into shooting range shoot and then do another loop to finish. That was kind of our shortest version. And then, you know, we'd have longer races where we'd have four shooting stages with five laps of skiing. And, um, it, it was one of those things where in the United States, no one really knows what the sport is. Mm -hmm. If they've heard of it, they're like, yeah, you know, it's comes on in the Olympics at say 2am in the morning. Um, but over in Europe, it's so popular. Like we'll have 50,000 inebriated Germans screaming behind you, Germans and Russians and, you know, Norwegians and stuff. And, and so it really makes it exciting. Like when you come into the shooting range, the people are literally, um, 50 yards behind you and you can't even hear yourself breathe. You can't hear your shot go off. It's just super exciting. I can only imagine recently here in Colorado Springs, they had the Pikes Peak marathon where people run up Pikes Peak and then run down. And some of these people did it, I think it's like 26 miles. And some of these people did it in four hours. And anyway, so my friend and I, we were at the bottom cheering people as they were crossing the finish line and just the energy. And I mean, it gave me goosebumps. Like it almost like kind of made me emotional for these people. Like imagine you just, I mean, you're literally running up a mountain where there's no trees. I mean, it's past tree line. It's like, it's not just like you're running on flat ground mm-hmm. and just the amount of work and, you know, training that goes into that. And then to like finish, like has got to be such a feeling of accomplishment. And I would imagine that it's probably the same thing, you know, and like people were like going crazy. They were cheering for him. They were like, you know, like, come on, you're almost done, you know? And it was just such a, I don't know. I just, I loved the, I loved just the atmosphere of it. Like it was just, you know, just such a cool feeling. And I could, I can only imagine what it would be like to be one of those athletes, like in your position, it's gotta be like such a rush. It is. Yeah. There, there are times like it biathlon, I think is one of the most challenging things mentally. It's such an emotional roller coaster. I mean, there were times where you know, I would, I would go out too hard and I'd absolutely hit a wall and just bonk. And then, you know, you'd just be in tears, like just trying to get to the finish line and other times where you'd be so motivated that adrenaline was just really carrying you up the hills and, and, you know, people cheering you on and stuff like that. And I think the, probably the best feeling ever in a biathlon race, besides hitting all your targets in a race and skipping the penalty loop was that moment after you cross the finish line and you're just laying there in the snow feeling absolutely completely exhausted, but just laying there and be like, you know what? I lived, I survived it. Yeah. 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 I can only imagine. What do you guys do to prepare yourselves for this stuff? And I know you're no longer in the Olympics, which we'll talk about what you're doing now, but I, you know, I'd imagine not only do you have to physically train, but I mean, mentally, I'd say it's probably mental more than anything because what I've realized, and I, I haven't been working out like unless, I don't know, gosh, 2020 like ruined my life. I was like in the best shape of my life. And then, you know, COVID happened. But 
it's one of the things that the instructors would always say is like, you know, your body can do it. It's just usually it's mentally that like you stop yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, a lot of people don't realize this, but mental training is probably one of the most important things that you can do for anything in your life. You know, even, even sleeping. I mean, people, people like, oh, I just, I just sleep awful all the time, or I'm a horrible sleeper. And, you know, to get good sleep is so important because it, it just helps you to be more productive during the day and, and just a lot of things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in our biathlon training, everything that we did had some sort of psychological effect on us. Mm-hmm. So training that was so important, you know, whether it was sleep, whether it was the training, whether it was dealing with politics in the sport, dealing with, you know, head to head competition or, or your own demons inside saying you can't do it, or, you know, you're not going to be able to make it or, you know, things like that. Mental training is so incredibly important. And, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, they, they say shooting is 90% mental mm-hmm. and it's true, but how often do we actually train that mental side of, of shooting or mental side of anything? So that's so important. Absolutely. So what would you say, like, what are some ways that you mentally train yourself? Yeah. So one of the biggest ones is when I think this was kind of early on in our career, I was the kind of person who I was nervous all the time. I would stay up late at night going over conversations I had in my head, just, you know, I wouldn't get good sleep, just kind of a nervous person and in, in general. And, and, uh, I realized that if I didn't, uh, learn how to control my emotions and, and become stronger mentally, that I was never going to make it as a athlete or just be successful in general. And so I took my shooting training, shooting biathlon training, and basically developed this process. It's pretty well known in the uh, sports world, but you take a keyword and it can be any word out there. But um, mine was relax because I had a hard time relaxing in front of 50,000 people when I was shooting with my heart rate around 180 beats per minute. (laughs) So um, it was just a, it was just a good reminder for me to relax. And then in general, in life, like I walked around with my shoulders hunched, you know, just super tense all the time. And so, and I had a hard time relaxing at night. So it really helped me in everything I did. So when I'd step up to the shooting line to work on anything, whether it's trigger or sight picture or speed or anything like that, I'd say my keyword and then work on it. And essentially the idea was it's like Pavlov's dog. You know, you, you put the dog in or put the food in front of the dog and ring the bell. And then you do that over and over and over and over again. And then eventually you take the food away and just ring the bell and the dog will salivate. And so a keyword is the exact same idea where you basically, you say the word and then do something you're trying to work on, say the word, do something you're working on. And then eventually all the things you work on will become subconscious and your mind will do it automatically. So you don't have to think about it and your mind won't get in the way. You'll just be able to do what you're supposed to do. Hmm. And it actually, the reason why I brought up the sleep and things like that, it, it, it transferred over into everything in my life. Like I, subconsciously my mind would be repeating relax in my head at night and then I'd fall asleep immediately and not think about anything mm-hmm. and ever since I figured out that technique I've slept like a baby for the past probably 20 years 
Um, and then, you know, things like where I was in a car accident last year and, um, I, I knew, I knew I was going to get hit from behind the, the guy behind me hit some snow and he was sliding out of control. And there was a car that was stopped in front of me and there's really nothing I could do, but, um, subconsciously my mind said, relax. And I relaxed and, and it was, it was just perfect. I didn't get whiplash and, and, uh, you know, it was that stressful situation where that keyword really came into play and, uh, helped me in a stressful situation. It's interesting you bring this up because I, um, so one thing I haven't really told my listeners, but I suffer from a little bit of PTSD from when my mom passed away because I was there when it happened. And only recently have I decided to like seek help. And so they've been doing EMDR. I think that's what it's called. It's like some sort of eye movement. But recently they had me do some sort of relaxed feature. It's like called, I don't know, she calls it calm, safe place or something like that. and very similar. She's like, think of a word, go to that place, think of, you know, and it's kind of similar to what you're saying. And you kind of, you sort of concentrate on just, you know, the word and like being in like your happy place. And she's like, it could be made up or it could be someplace that does bring you calmness. And I'm still working on it. It's like, it is hard not to be like, okay, great. So now what do I do? Uh, you know, and your mind gets the best of you, right, yeah. you know, it's kind of similar to like meditation. Like anytime I've ever tried to meditate, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Uh, you know, and then you freak out because you're like, I can't meditate. And then you start thinking about that. And cause I'm also like a very like fidgety, nervous person mm-hmm. or I think too much into things. But I do think that's interesting though, that, you know, that you use something kind of similar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things like that really work. Uh, your your mind is such a powerful tool. Yeah. Um, we do we do things as in our our Olympic team. We do things to to really help kind of master the mind. Like, so I'll give you this example. We were training up in Lake Placid, New York, which I think has more mosquitoes per capita than almost any other place in the world. And and for a Colorado person where we don't have a lot of bugs, it it makes you want to crawl out of your skin. But yeah. what we do is like we'd purposefully let a mosquito land on our arm and bite us. So the the chemical reaction that happens in your body when you get bit like that um, causes that itching, and it's it's irritating, it's annoying. Like you can't help but not itch it. Yeah. And so what we do is. Um, when you get a mosquito bite bite like that, if you completely distract your mind and make it so that you think of something else entirely, like you hundred percent, you have to have your mind somewhere else. Um, that reaction never happens. The mosquito bite will go away and you'll, you'll never get, um, the itching from a mosquito bite. It's pretty amazing how, and what the mind can do. You just have to really commit to it. Wow. Huh. Dang, I should definitely try that because I get such bad reactions. They swell up like golf balls. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always did too. But the, this, you know, you can, it's, it's really your mind um, saying, oh, I just got bit. It's sending that chemical reaction down to the, to the bite. And then the itch is what um, it's your body creating that chemical reaction. Mm. So I'm going to take another quick break. Talk about IWI.
So if you guys have a thing for the CZ 75 style pistols or the single double action pistols, definitely check out the Jericho Enhanced from IWI. The Jericho Enhanced is based on the popular CZ 75 recoil system and includes a number of upgrades. The new frame comes with finger grooves, includes adjustable back straps, an accessory rail, uh, the new hammer trigger profiles, and a safety lever. I haven't had a chance to shoot one myself, but I know that a lot of people have, especially in the Patreon group, and they really love it. It almost looks like a hammer fire version of the Masada, which is also one of my favorite guns. But if you want to check that out, MSRP is $559. And when you go to their website, which is IWI.us, don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY15. This is going to get you 15% off all of the accessories in their web store. All right, so let's talk about what you're currently doing because you no longer, you left the Olympics and when was that? Was that like 2018 or something? Uh, 2014. Okay, 2014, okay. And then from there, you decided to do three gun competitions, right? Yeah, yeah, I jumped into three gun, um, PCC, uh, IPSC shotgun, a lot of different shooting competitions. And then did you also get a job within the industry or did like, you know, working with Hivis and all that, did that come later on? That came a little bit later. I jumped on with Hivis uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. First, I, when I retired, I just focused on shooting competitions. Uh, my twin sister and I, we taught courses to military and law enforcement around the country on how to shoot with an elevated heart rate and under stress. We taught civilian courses. I, I'm, I'm an artist, so I did a ton of artwork. We're inspirational speakers, so we went around to schools and, and uh, places all around the country um, giving speeches, just things like that. Yeah. How do you train yourself to shoot at such a high heart rate? Yeah. So in, in biathlon, our heart rate averaged around 100, 180 beats per minute. Uh-huh. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, at that level, I'm going to pass out. And <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's, it's, it's definitely um, as high a heart rate as you can probably physically handle for shooting. Mm-hmm. But the idea w- behind it was the higher your heart rate, the less time between beats. So if you think of your, if you think of an EKG with the, the, um, the V's that go up mm-hmm. on it, so the lower your heart rate, the more time between beats, the time in between the the beats on that. Mm-hmm. And so the lower your heart rate, the more barrel movement you're going to see with that thud of, of your heart. When your heart rate's going at 180 beats per minute, it's like a hummingbird. So it's going to, you're going to have a little bit of barrel movement, but it's going to be a lot less noticeable and more, a lot easier to control. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could handle that psychologically, you know, wanting to pass out and puke and, and collapse. Um, it actually made the shooting a lot easier. So what we do is we just, we do a ton of training where we come into the, into the shooting range, basically at red line and, um, learn how to, to be able to shoot, um, psychologically in, in that, that zone. And then it actually made it easier. Interesting. Would it be kind of the same as like drinking a ton of coffee, like lots of caffeine and you're just like, oh, like move. Cause I know anytime I have to go and like shoot a video or something like that, I like lower my intake of caffeine because it just screws me up. Yeah, exactly. So the thing, what happens when you're shooting with a kind of an elevated heart rate or even in a, 
kind of a fight or flight response when you get a ton of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So essentially what happens is you're in, in a fight or flight response, which is similar to what we'd, we'd get when we're at the Olympics or, you know, really high heart rate or, you know, in your self-defense situation or competition, your body releases endorphins, adrenaline, a lot of different things, your pupils dilate. So essentially your primary vision can be taken over by your peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, well, peripheral vision is just what you can see on the sides. And it's not true. Peripheral vision is responsible for all the vision in front of you, but for movement, it picks up on movement. So when you're focusing on the target, you know, through your sights, you're going to see more movement with your barrel moving and things like that. And it's going to make your mind think that there's a lot more movement than there actually is. Mm -hmm. And so if you can overcome that mentally and say, you know, the movement isn't that much because it isn't as much as you'd actually think it is. Um, If you can overcome that mentally and just force your primary vision to take back over the peripheral movement, the movement of your barrel will decrease in a perceived manner. And then it, it makes the shooting easier. Hmm. Interesting. That's really interesting. And what part of Colorado are you in? I'm down in Durango. Okay. So that is I'm trying to think how far is that from Colorado Springs? Like three or four hours? Yeah, it's about, I'd say four, four hours. And are you guys- are you still offering classes? I do. Yeah. I pretty much do all different kinds of shooting classes. I mean, I've done courses from um, teaching people how to, to hunt and get ready for, you know, uh, um, a Cape Buffalo hunt in Africa to three gun to ladies handgun to shooting with an elevated heart rate and under stress, you know, pretty much love to teach anything. Yeah. I should definitely make a trip down there and train with you. You should. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're really not that far away. No, definitely not. Yeah, it's, it's close. Durango is really pretty. It's it's gorgeous. I absolutely love it. I've spent my life traveling the world, but I don't think I'll ever leave Durango. Yeah. Well, Colorado in itself is just such a beautiful state. And that's the thing is like, even I always think like, eh, maybe I'll move, especially with the cost of housing and stuff. Like I always think like, man, if I sell my house, I'm going to make so much money. And then after this whole like construction thing, I'm like, oh, screw it. Sell the house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, let's just sell this freaking house. It's like, you know, um, but you'd really have to move out of state in order, you know, for you to gain anything because it's all relative. But then I think about like what other states I'd live in and it's just, I would miss the mountains. I couldn't live somewhere where it was flat. And like, I just, I've become very much like an outdoorsy type person. And I don't know, there's very few. And then I I wouldn't want to deal with the humidity. And then like you said, like, you know, in humid states, there's all the bugs and stuff and mosquitoes. And we really are like extremely lucky to be living in such a beautiful state. Yeah. I'd say lucky and spoiled, like Colorado completely spoils you. Yeah. Good weather. Um, you never have an excuse not to go outside. It's just, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Let's talk about your art. You have made some like incredibly detailed and lifelike art. What is it like? What do you, I mean, do you commission these pieces or? Yeah. So I, I do a lot of different things for my artwork. Um, I don't have as much time these days to do artwork. So if I do, it's usually for charities. 
mm-hmm. I'll donate pieces to nonprofit organizations and stuff. But my artwork, I, I started drawing when I was really young. Um, and it was mostly horses. Cause I, as a young girl, I was just, you know, obsessed with horses and, and mm-hmm. My dad is not a horse guy. He hates horses. So <laughs> the closest I could get to a horse was drawing one. So I, I just did that a lot. And then over the years, uh, like when I went into college and was training f- for the Olympics, it helped me basically pay for my tuition. I'd sell my artwork. Uh, my twin sister and I would go sell my artwork on the streets and it helped wow. us pay for tuition, food, travel, you know, things like that. And then started doing commission pieces for people and, and just, just really enjoyed it. It's the one thing that can actually get me in a seat long enough to focus on something. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, you know, kind of, I guess, ADD in a way where I just, yeah. I can't sit down for too long. Yeah. So, yeah. In the same way. That's why I became self-employed because I can't sit at a desk all day. Like I have no idea how people do it. Right. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. So, okay. And then let's talk about Hivez. What made you decide to uh, join that company and what is it that you do for them now? Like what is your, I know you mentioned your title, but what does it involve? Yeah. So I joined Hivez three years ago um, as their director of commercial sales, but I've been on their pro staff since probably, I'd say closer to 2010. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I jumped on with them, I mean, I, I represent so many amazing companies in the industry, but the one thing they asked if, if I could help them out a couple of years ago, and I thought long and hard about it, but the reason why I joined them is because they're such good people. I mean, we, we're very fortunate in this industry. There's so many good people, but you know, they, they truly believe in the quality of their products. Uh, they're made in the United States. Uh, you know, the, the people that own the company are absolutely fabulous people. The people who work for the company are great. And I've used their products in, you know, self-defense situations and, and, um, in competition. And so I really believed in the product and I think that that made a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely helps the people behind the product. Yeah. Any, any companies that I partner with, I want like that relationship with the people behind the company. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm like, it just seems so, I don't know, I guess, artificial. Like, I don't know. I have to like the people behind the company, even if they make great products. If I don't feel like I like the people, then it just, it definitely makes all the difference. Yeah. It's a, it's the same kind of thing for me. I mean, I've been, the people and the companies that I represent, I've been representing them for, you know, at least since 2014, if not before. And mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people to kind of skip around and, and take on different partnerships or sponsorships because I, the people that I represent, not only the people in the products, but they become my family, you know, and it's really important to me that not only do I, I believe in their products, but that they, they become part of my family as well. Mm -hmm. What other companies do you work with or are you sponsored by? So um, for handgun, it's staccato. And I've been with them since 2014 I've been with Beretta since 2014 for shotguns, JP rifles uh, since 2014 as well, Fioki for ammunition, Trigicon for scopes and optics, Weber Tactical, uh, Loa Boots, and Grizzly Ears. Nice. And what was the, what's Load Boots? Loa Boots. 
Um, yeah, so it's Loa's, um, they're handmade in Germany. They're absolutely amazing. When my twin sister and I were training for the Olympics, like we'd, we'd literally wear out a pair of tennis shoes in less than a month and have to throw them away. Wow. So we were going through at the time, Nike and Adidas were the sponsors for the Olympic team. So we'd be getting a lot of, of shoes from them and we'd, we'd go through them so quickly. And, you know, when we're, when you're putting in that many miles, um, you can do a lot of damage to your joints, your knees and your, your hips and your ankles and things like that. So we looked really hard to find um, a company that made good boots that could withstand the the amount of miles that we put on and Mm -hmm. we tried everything and lower was the only company that that we could actually you know put in four to six months worth of training on and and you know not have major knee and and hip pain after afterwards Mm -hmm. so um they really kind of withstood the test of time nice all right cool and then I also noticed you've been pretty active on Instagram. You're making funny videos. Like I watched one where you're reading a romance novel and you shoot something that flies by. Not <laughs> 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 which I love that. And then another one, we were on like one of those like yoga balls. And I think, was it the star that you were shooting? Um, yeah, that was the, uh, I think it was, was a, it a plate rack. I think it was plate rack. Yeah. Okay. Either way, I'm like, that's freaking hard. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I don't know. It's like a really, it was impressive. But for listeners who want to find you on the internet, like on follow you on social media or sign up for a class, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can find me on um, social media at Lanny Oakley, um, both Instagram and Facebook. And then I also have a website, uh, LannyOakley.com. Okay, perfect. All right, well, moving forward with the rest of the show, Caldwell. Caldwell has a pretty awesome promo deal going on right now, actually for the whole month of October. So if you spend $100, you're automatically going to get a free set of the Max Pro Bluetooth earmuffs added to your cart. The Emacs Pro has 24 decibels of noise reduction and adjustable volume for ambient sounds. You can also listen to music. They're low profile, so they won't affect with your cheek weld. And super important for me, they have auto shut off. Otherwise, we all know. I mean, I don't know about you, but I always forget to shut my freaking ear pro off. And the next thing I know, I got to use it. And it's like the battery's dead. They go for $49.99. So. Like I said, if you spend $100, you get those for free. So it's actually like a really great deal that you don't want to pass up. On top of that, for your first order, if you use the code GUNFUNNY10, you're going to get an additional 10% off. And that is at CaldwellShooting.com. Today in politics. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. This political segment actually doesn't involve the Second Amendment so much, but I think it's really important for people to be aware of what's going on. Over $600 in your bank account, IRS will monitor it. A proposed provision of Biden's $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation bill will require financial institutions to report the IRS account transactions of accounts that hold more than $600 in a year. 
The proposed rule would supposedly help identify unreported taxable income with the stated goal of getting the rich to pay their, quote, fair share. There is an estimated tax gap from business income and individuals owed but not paid of $166 billion a year. However, with such a deliberately low threshold of only $600 balance, it's obvious that they want to track the financial activities of nearly everyone. The new 1099 INT form would not reflect any taxable activity. It would include all of your transactions once the threshold amount is triggered. This would be a massive invasion of everyone's privacy with zero legal justifications. So it's not completely clear if they would have access to all transactions or just transactions over 600. But either way, it would be an overreach and it needs to be stopped. Which can you imagine like every transaction or transaction that exceeds $600 or more is reported? You know, to me, I think that's absolutely crazy because there's times where like for my twin sister and I, someone will write me a check for both of us and I'll stick it in my account and then give her half or something. So that would, that would be a major inconvenience. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I know. And yeah, I'm just like, you can't help but think also like, can they see these transactions? Do they know what you're buying? Does it show that you spent it at a gun store? I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Uh, thankfully, a lot of people are recognizing the dangers of this proposal. So like Congressman Jefferson Van Drew from New Jersey, he introduced a bill known as the Banking Privacy Act of 2021, which would block a proposal on the reconciliation bill from forcing financial institutions to report these transactions of individuals and business. But either way, I would definitely say, guys, contact your representatives on this one. I think it's extremely dangerous and just like such an overreach of your privacy. And it kind of makes me want to just pull my money out of banks and just like do it the old fashioned way and start putting money under my mattress. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's basically the first step to them being able to see everything in your financial life. Um, yeah. It's private. <laughs> exactly. I know. Like it just, I don't know. I'm like nowadays, I feel like there's just no privacy with anything. Right. It does. I mean, like, I'd hate to just like, you know, I wouldn't obviously put all my money in Uh my mattress, but it does kind of make you wonder, like, should you start, you know, pulling out your money and like hiding it somewhere else? And I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's one thing if, if they start getting access to your bank account, what's to keep prevent them from freezing it. If if there's something that they don't like. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, for example, PayPal, I remember a few years ago, PayPal, they saw some transaction that they didn't like and approve and they froze my funds for six months. Oh, geez. Yeah. And I couldn't, like, I literally, I could not get those funds out for six months. And luckily it wasn't like, I think there was like $1,300 in there or something, but it was still one of those things where I know some businesses, they run their entire business with PayPal. I mean, that would easily, if your funds are frozen for six months, that would easily, you know, it could potentially put your business out of business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guys, definitely contact your representatives. Like that's just such a far overreach of, you know, someone's privacy. Manafort Arms, they just released their new Renegade MLOC handguard for the Yugo M85 and the M92. The updated Renegade has two rows of MLOC slots on each side and a row on the bottom to mount any accessories where you want them. 
the high temperature polymers available in Magpul Black, Russian Plum, and Bakelite Orange to match your authentic Bakelite AK mags, which I love. And I actually, I don't own any, but I, every time I see them, I'm like, oh, I need to get those. And um, I know, like, they're just, I don't know, they just look cool. And they, they just look, I think they look like really badass on AKs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can also order a top cover for them separately with the built-in optic mount for an Aimpoint Pro or uh, Burris Fast Fire. They're all in stock right now, and they're only $44.95. But remember, you're not going to pay full price because you're going to use the code AVARocks15, all one word, and that's going to get you 15% off your entire order. That is at ManicoreArms.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's question is actually, we don't have any questions. I just put this in here. But if you guys have any questions, I mean, it could be about my house, it could be about guns, it could be about my training. It doesn't matter. Ask away. But I thought that maybe you guys would like to know what I'm going to be putting on my new 300 blackout pistol that I just put together all of the parts other than the brace, which came from SB Tactical, and the barrel, which came from BSF Barrels. I got all of those parts from Primary Arms and I actually got it for like $650, which is insane. It just shows like their prices are amazing. But the object that I decided, because I was like, oh, I didn't want something like big and bulky or like an actual scope. I wanted something that was sort of small. But I went with the primary arms, the SLX Micro Prism. So it's a one power with the ACSS Cyclops. It's kind of almost like a Trigodon MRO, except with a prism. So if the battery dies, you still have an optic, plus the reticle has hold points. It has auto live, which you guys know I love that, and 29,000 hour battery life. They started shipping this summer, and now they're also available in FTE with a green reticle. I should have it this weekend. I'll post pictures on my Instagram. I know I've been saying I'll post the new AR pistol, but I figured let me wait until the optics on there so that it's complete and then I'll post pictures. Definitely uh, be on the lookout. I'll post it on both accounts on the Gun Funny podcast Instagram as well as Ava Funnel Instagram. Today in Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Strike Industries announces a new chassis. With the popularity of PCCs and pistols with braces at an all-time high, Strike Industries has announced a new modular chassis built around the SIG E320 FCU, which is the fire control unit. It's called the P320MC and includes a grip module that a P320 fire control unit drops in along with a slide and other common P320 parts. To top it off, an upper rail bolts to the frame, giving it a full length rail and intricated charging handle. At the rear, there's another rail to attach a pistol brace. It's similar looking to a flux raider for the P320, but more modular and built for any brace or stock for that matter. Uh, especially if you SBR it rather than a proprietary one. Unlike other pistol conversions like the Ronies, which are a bit bulky, they're designed for the fire control unit to drop in, and they're otherwise built solid like a PCC would be. The new chassis is still in development, but a prototype was 
on hand for people to test at the primary arms range day last month. Word is it's rock solid and felt like they were operating a dedicated PCC rather than a conversion, which is one of the things I don't really like about the conversion kits is it does kind of seem like it's not really a PCC. It's just, it feels like your handgun is in some sort of piece of plastic and, you know. Yeah, I think for me, I, I prefer the ones that are, are straight up just like the PCC because, I, you know, the Franken guns are not... <laughs> Yeah, I don't feel like they're as as reliable as as something that's um, you know a little bit better built. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like natural when you shoot it. Like you can't help but think there's just something that's moving your slide to eject the rounds, and I don't know. It just I've never really been a big fan. Polymer eighty for a while they had the um, and what is it called? And I I own one, but they had one, and then you know there's the Ronies and. Uh, there's quite a few out there, but it seems like they definitely have kind of honed in on sort of the design of it so that it actually does feel like, you know, a pistol caliber carbine. They said that when it is released, there's going to be about 15 to 20 options, including custom grips, charging handles, different brace adapters, rail lengths, mag holders, and optic plates. Definitely be on the lookout for that. No word yet on price, but Strike's always been pretty competitively priced. I'd imagine that it's going to be pretty affordable when it hits the market, but um, I would say keep an eye out for that. You know, that's actually, you know, the SIG P320 is one of those guns that has become pretty popular, but I have yet to own one. Yeah, I have one um, in the safe and it's a lot of fun to shoot, but um, I was at the U.S. Concealed Carry Association show this past weekend and there were a ton of people that said that they own them. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's definitely popular and I know a lot of like law enforcement and military adopted it. They've made, you know, so many different, I don't know, I don't want to say generations, but variations of them. And then with the fire control unit, you can really, you know, kind of build one that would be perfect for whatever you like. Like if you want to use a certain slide or, you know, frame or whatever, but yeah, it's it's actually, it's kind of weird. I don't own one of those. Yeah. Um, how was that, that event, by the way, I saw a lot of people went to it. It was actually fantastic. I think, um, as far as post COVID, if, if I could say that, yeah. <laughs> um, it was, it was great. Cause it, I think it was the, the most well-attended show that I've been to, um, since COVID hit and there were a lot of people, people were excited and, um, it was great to see a lot of the new things that people are doing for concealed carry. Yeah, definitely. Have you taken any of their classes or I know like USCCA, I think they're doing like their own instructor credentials. They They are. Yeah. There's a lot of things that they're doing to certify instructors across the country, which I think it's great to have kind of a a baseline for instructors um, who want to teach concealed carry because it's, it's such a individualized thing. (laughs) unless there's kind of a baseline, people can go off in a lot of different areas and and you want to keep that safety first and foremost. So I think that's kind of what they're doing, but I haven't taken any classes. Uh, I gave a few seminars. Dakota was the, the primary sponsor for the show. So we did a few kind of talks to people throughout the show, which was, oh was fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause I keep wondering, you know, like, especially with everything going on with the NRA, and being an instructor myself, I'm like, okay, well, if the NRA goes down, which I mean, people are like, no, nah, that's never going to happen. But I mean, it's plausible. 
or I mean, even if they, even if they don't, even if nothing happens to the NRA, I think it's still good to have other options out there if you want to become a certified instructor that is going to be recognized, you know, nationwide. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, just, just judging by their show, I mean, the USCCA seems like they're, they're really growing and, and, uh, you know, doing things right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like a really good show. I wish I could have made it, but you know, this damn house is just ruining my life. (laughs) Well, it'll hopefully be done soon. Yeah. I did get my hair done yesterday, which I'm excited about. Cause like you should see it how lately, you know, usually I like my nails are usually always done. You'll typically will never catch me with chip nail polish. And I think it's just, I've always been like that. And my mom kind of like, she was also an instructor. And so it's not like she was like super girly, but she was like very feminine. And like, she always taught me like, you know, if one nail breaks, you know, you got to cut them all down to that length. Otherwise it just kind of looks, you know, just kind of trashy. Right. And, and then I've like, I think it's like also my OCD. So if like a nail, you know, if it chips or some of the nail polish lately, I am like, my hands look like freaking man hands. My nail polish oh, no. chipped. My hair was like, it needed to be done like weeks ago. I finally got in yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been to the gym in forever. I mean, I am like living my worst life right now. Oh, no. I did get my hair done and I'm like, all right, let's just get a mani and a pedi. We'll feel better, you know, but I, it doesn't make sense to get it done when you're like, cause I've been helping with the construction. I've been painting and like, I tore out a lot of the tile and stuff. Like I've been just trying to get it done as soon as possible. So I'm like all hands on deck, but I definitely realized that this construction life is not really for me. And I give so much more credit (laughs) to the people that work in this industry because it's exhausting. And it's yeah. so wearing on your body. Yeah. Yeah. I think between um, doing construction and uh, being out at the range, it's, it's very unforgiving on your hands. Oh yeah, it definitely. Well, people have always asked me, they're like, how do you manage to keep nail polish on your hands? But I, I use the gel nail polish. So if there's any ladies listening, or I guess men who like to wear nail polish, who knows nowadays, but the gel, I mean, that lasts, it'll last a good week before it starts to, you know, most people, it depends how, how much you use your hands, but I like clean a lot and stuff, but I could get like a good week and it looks great. I would definitely say, try the gel nail polish. They do have powder, like sort of powder nail polish. I've yet to use. I'm kind of interested in it, but I don't know. I just think the gel stuff's great. If you are, you know, always like busy hands-on, definitely try that. All right. uh, Aside from nail polish, Cold steel. Every time I check out Cold Steel's website, it's like going down a rabbit hole of blades. You can literally spend hours browsing. They have so many different knives, sword. They have a bunch of other stuff. They have tons of great everyday carry knives to choose from as low as like $25. They also have high-end ones too. So Japanese style, short samurai knives, throwing knives, all kinds of folders, lots of bigger hunting and outdoor knives as well as tomahawks and axes. I noticed my friend, uh, Hannah Barron, she uses their knives when she goes hunting, which I got to imagine I'm going to be hunting soon. I'd imagine because... Recently, I got sponsored by Federal Ammunition, and so they said that they'd be taking us on hunting trips. 
when that comes, I guess I'll have to bring one of my cold steel knives and just be cool and be like, oh, here guys, I got a knife on me and then have no idea how to like skin, you know, or do whatever, gut a deer or whatever. But, you know, since you teach these classes, I might have to hit you up and take one of your classes so that I don't look stupid when I go on these trips. <laughs> You'll be fine. It, it, it's pretty easy to, to learn how to do that. Um, and if you have a cold steel knife, then you'll be able to get it done quickly because they're pretty sharp. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine like I go to do it and then I just like throw up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to be like the worst. They're like, who brought Ava? <laughs> but yeah. And then if you're into swords, they also have lots of swords, both historical and modern inspired. Definitely check them out. You should check out their YouTube videos. Actually, they're always making some really cool YouTube videos. Like one, they like literally like sliced a pig in half with one of their swords, which is insane. Yeah, just, I mean, just crazy, but check them out, coldseal.com. Remember, if you use the code GUNFUNNY20, all one word, you're going to get 20% off your entire order. And that's for all of GSM Outdoors brands as well. Definitely check it out. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Today's AF segment, kind of funny. I read this and I was like, oh man, we have to include this because I have sort of a similar story. So I'm totally going to not say their name right. I have no idea. Maybe I maybe I am saying their name right, but Beham Mutlu. Mutlu. Yeah. Beham Mutlu, a construction worker from Turkey's Bursha province, was reported missing after a night out drinking with his friends last week. Relatives became concerned after he didn't return home and his wife could not reach him on his cell phone. Officials were advised that his friends lost him after he wandered into a forest after drinking and a search party was organized to locate him. Motlu was still out wandering the forest when he encountered the first responders searching for him. He was moved by everyone searching for a missing person and joined the search for the missing person. Apparently, no one in the search party knew what he looked like. I'm guessing he was probably still pretty drunk at this point. He searched with them for hours until someone at some point during the night, one of the other searchers shouted Mutlu's name. At that point, he realized that they were looking for him and said, who are we looking for? I am here. That is so hilarious. Mutlu said that there was really no need for his friends to report him as missing. Basically, I'm paying for my friend's mistakes. What happened is all like a joke. Authorities later gave Mutlu a drive home after taking a police statement. I'm betting his wife had a few things to say to him after he got home as well. This isn't the first time that a missing person was part of their own search. In 2012, an Asian tourist in Iceland was discovered in her own search party after she didn't recognize the description of herself. I actually, like, this kind of reminded me of, I, I never was, like, missing and didn't go on my own search party, but... I was in Israel when I was, maybe I was like 21 or 22 and I was sick and we were at this hotel. I was, I was in this like tour guide thing and I ended up getting really sick. So they called for a doctor. The doctor actually spoke Russian, which you guys might be surprised if you've never been to Israel, there's like a huge like Russian population and a lot of people speak Russian, which I didn't realize at the time. And so I had a translator and I was trying to tell the doctor what medications I was currently taking so that it wouldn't interfere with the medications that he wanted to prescribe me, which is also really difficult because they're named different things. 
And anyways, I remember him giving me like two pills to take and I took them and the hotel that we were staying at. So we had to stay in rooms with people. It wasn't a hostel, but, um, it kind of was similar, I guess, but there was two bunk beds or I'm sorry. No, it was a bunk bed. And I slept on the top. Well, in the middle of the night, I don't know if I was hallucinating. I was like having a dream that I was like on Mount Masada and maybe I dreamt that I jumped, but anyways, I fell off the bunk bed there was a temperature control unit on the wall. I took that out when I jumped because it was like hanging by some wires. And next thing I know, I wake up and there's a bunch of people like over me and they were like, yeah, she fell off the bunk bed and they were just talking. I don't even remember, but I thought they were talking about somebody else, not me. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Anyways, yeah. So long story short, I actually ended up, I severed a nerve in my foot my ankle. So there's like this indent in my leg and I still can't feel parts of my leg. I broke my arm, which we didn't realize until afterwards. So I actually had a concussion, but they put me back to bed and I went to sleep. And then the next morning at breakfast, I was like, my arm looks kind of funny and I couldn't hold my tray up. And so they're like, all right, well, we should probably take you to the doctors. But we were like in the middle of nowhere. So we drove two hours to a hospital because like there was like this little village doctor place, but they didn't have, they realized that my arm was broke, but they didn't have the stuff that they could put a cast on my arm. And even then when we drove two hours to a hospital, not to say that like Israel's like behind times or anything, but they put this cast on that looks like it came from like a third world country. And I don't walk around with this hideous cast for like, I don't know, I think six to eight weeks, but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. It's the worst when you get injured overseas. It really is. And then even then all the doctors there spoke Russian. Nobody really spoke English. And then I continued on with my trip for a few days, but then when we were flying back, they almost didn't let me back on the plane because my cast, it was so new that I guess when you're up in the air, like everything swells. So they didn't want my arm to swell in the cast. So they almost didn't let me. So then I had to go back to a doctor. And then finally I found a doctor that was actually from the U S that spoke English and get, you know, approved that I could get on the plane. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever ever been, well, I guess you were sick overseas, right? Yeah. I mean, I've had injuries overseas. I um, cracked my sternum, dislocated my shoulder, a lot lot of different injuries overseas and stuff. And, you know, one, it's just even, even little things like an ambulance ride. Yeah. Uh, I had one in in Slovenia and, and the ambulance was so small that no one could fit in there except for me and the driver. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, guess, I guess, you know, it's a good thing I'm not dying. Cause yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Appreciate the, the, what we have here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that comes to mind is like, if you ever got in trouble overseas and just like their, you know, their judicial system and stuff, like it's just, I don't know, it's kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, it is fun to travel. And honestly, I would love to go back like overseas. Like I've been to various parts of Europe and Israel, but I would love to go to like other parts of Asia. Like, I think that would be really fun and to kind of be out of my element, but I think it'd also be kind of scary. Like you'd have to have some sort of tour guide just in case. Yeah. I mean, traveling overseas, I think is an incredible experience. One, just to see different cultures and learn new things, but I think the biggest lesson is just um, appreciation for what you have back here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. That, and I think it would be nice to just realize like, Hey, there's another world that exists outside your world. 
And I think that's why I want to go to Asia just to kind of like see how like just so many other cultures and just, you know, one to feel on my element, but also just to see like other cultures and how other people live. And also, I guess, you know, to have more of an appreciation, like here I am, like so many times, like even with my house being remodeled so many times I, you know, I get frustrated, but I'm like, you know, like at the end of the day, it is just stuff. And two, I'm like complaining about a house that I have when most people don't have homes and I still have, you know, I've been, I haven't been staying at my house, but I still have like a clean place to go, you know, at night in the shower and really it's not the end of the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a, you know, first world problems. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. But All right. Well, it's time to wrap up iTunes reviews. Unfortunately, we're all out. Nobody left any more reviews. So if you guys haven't, please do so. You get a chance to win a cool prize pack. Also, if you guys want to find the show links, affiliate links, if you guys go shopping at places like Palmetto State Armory, Brownells, any place like that, if you click on affiliates on gunfunny.com, we'll get a small portion of the sales that you guys buy. So it's a really good way to support the show without actually having to donate any money. If you do want to support the show, you should consider becoming a Patreon. It gets you access to our patron only Facebook group, which is a lot of fun. Also blown deadline. He gives away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky patron every month where you have the option of getting a really cool Cerakote job on one of your guns. Also wanted to thank the $25 patrons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, and Melissa Ridings. King of the Patreon, Jon Snow, he says, Operator Tickles can shoot and kill you with a cap gun. Uh, Lainey, thank you so much for spending this morning with me and talking about everything that you do. You're such an impressive woman. Like, I gotta say, it's great to talk to people that you know, are just really making a difference in the industry. So keep up the good work. Can you just remind people once again, if they want to follow you on social media or take your classes where they can find you? Absolutely. Yeah. And Ava, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I've been following you for a long time and uh, really enjoy what you're doing too. Thank you for having me on your podcast and people can find me on social media at Lanny Oakley and online at, at uh, lannyoakley.com. Hey, awesome. And I'm definitely going to hit you up and take a class because I think it would be great to learn from not only another female, but just somebody who's, you know, just so advanced. Hopefully we could get together. Maybe we'll make a YouTube video out of it. For sure. Yeah. You're close enough. You can just hop down here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, we are out of here and guys, I will talk to you next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.